Appreciate Brother Landon leading our scripture reading this morning from Ezekiel chapter 18. If you have your Bibles with you, let me encourage you to turn back to that chapter, Ezekiel chapter 18. We'll look at that in just a few moments. Just to echo what Mike says every time that he stands in the pulpit, and that is to encourage uh, all of our visitors uh, to continue to come back. We're very thankful that you're here. We want you to know that you're our honored guest. We hope that our services are going to be uplifting to you and that it's going to be beneficial for you being here. Uh, but you may be visiting with us, perhaps looking for a church home. Uh, we want you to know that you came to the right place. It's a great family that meets here. Uh, we're glad to see our young folks that are back. They traveled to Georgia uh, to help conduct a vacation Bible school, to help out a congregation there, and to help teach God's word to, to children in that area. Uh, so we're thankful for their work. Uh, they're going to continue on with another VBS in the upcoming future uh, over at Getwell. And so uh, they're doing a great work. So you may be visiting with us. You may have children. Uh, there's always work for your children to do when they come here. We'll keep them active. Uh, you, you may be here and you may be looking for uh, a great place to study God's word. In our Bible study classes, we have at least four or five different adult classes. Uh, so you can find out what's being taught. And it may be something that you want to learn uh, that very moment. But again, if you're visiting with us, uh, we're thankful that you're here. Uh, we are honored with you being here. We want to encourage you to come back when you can. Back in Ezekiel, uh, it's the Old Testament, of course, as we know. God is speaking to one of his prophets. Uh, Ezekiel has a nickname, uh, Son of Man. God will use that over 90 times within this book. Uh, God is using Ezekiel to speak to his own people. There were 12 tribes of Israel during the Old Testament time that uh, we're aware of. Ten had already been taken away into captivity because of their sin and disobedience. Two tribes were left, so Ezekiel speaking to the, the tribes of Judah. Uh, these last two tribes of Judah, he wants to encourage them not to be like uh, their sister was, looking at it from a spiritual standpoint, and to live in sin and to be turned away to idols. But Ezekiel is trying to encourage them to turn away from sin. So in this passage, we want to learn a lesson. We'll look at other Bible verses as well about God's roadblocks to hell. Does God really try to prevent individuals from going to that place called hell? Uh, sometimes folks just set the idea of hell aside and uh, they think, oh, it's just some other location, just, just like anything else. But if you stop and think about it, hell is going to be a place of eternity. Uh, we'll look at that in other verses in a few moments. But hell is going to be a place of eternity. Uh, I really don't want to spend my eternity with a, an individual called the devil and Satan, one who deceives the whole world, one who destroys family, one who promotes uh, rape, murder, molestation, uh, thievery, robbery. You name any kind of sin, the devil's going to be behind it. I don't want to be in a place where he's going to be uh, or his children that want to follow uh, in his wicked ways. But here in Ezekiel, God is speaking through Ezekiel to get individuals to turn away uh, from their sins. Notice verse 20 of Ezekiel chapter 18. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But notice what God said. This is our loving father, our merciful father. He said, if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live and not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed 
they shall not be mentioned unto him. And his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. And then notice what God says. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? The next verse is he talks about the righteous. We have some folks that may believe that I can live any way as I please. I'm already a child of God. I don't have to worry about my sins. Well, as it was in the Old Testament times, it's the same in the New Testament times. In verse 24 and following, God makes it plain. If the righteous turn away from their righteous deeds and commit iniquity and wickedness and they die that way, they're going to be lost. But then God ends this chapter here saying in verse 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. We have a loving Heavenly Father that does not want anyone to go to that place called hell. It's a place prepared for the devil and his angels. God knew how Lucifer, who changed from being that angel who brought praise to God Almighty to a, a wicked and sinful being, that God knew that this individual, because of his choices, would spend his eternity apart from him. Heaven's going to be where God is going to be at for eternity, but hell's where the devil's going to be at for eternity. God doesn't want people to be in that place called hell. And so God does try to prevent mankind from going to that place called hell. God has, if you would, his spiritual roadblocks. Now, what's the purpose of a roadblock? Now, if any of you that travel or like traveling, if you're traveling down the highway and, and it's blocked off, you get a little frustrated, just like I would. You have to find an alternative route. Back before GPSs, you might have to use trial and error to get around, to get to your destination. But the roadblock was there for a purpose. It's to pre prevent an individual from entering to an area that may be dangerous. There may be some construction going on, but in some cases it's to prevent someone from entering into a place that may be dangerous. Well, think about hell. God doesn't want people to go to that place called hell. And so God tries to prevent that. And as we see here in Ezekiel, God is sending his word through Ezekiel to try to prevent people from dying in sin. But let's look at it from another standpoint. Does God really keep up with every human being? That's where faith comes in. Some statisticians tell us that we have about 7 billion people upon the face of the earth. Yes, a lot of them are babies. But when we read the scriptures and we take it by faith, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1, Zechariah tells us that God formed the spirit of man within him. Yes, mom and daddy had something to do with the conception of that child, but that child would not have life without a spirit. See, the body without the spirit is dead. That's what James chapter 2 and verse 26 tells us. So God has his hand in it. Every conception of putting a spirit within that body. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 1, he forms that spirit. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 9, he's the father of our spirit. Our spirits come from him. In Ecclesiastes, pardon me, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, God for, or pardon me, the dust or this body is going to return back to the grave or the dust that it was. Uh, it's, this body is going to return back to the ground. But the spirit is going to return back to God who gave it. So three passages tell us that God formed the spirit of man within him. He's the father of our spirits. And when our spirit leaves our body, it goes back to God who gave it. Yes, God keeps up with every human being. How can we even imagine the judgment day? Is God just going to rub his chin and say, well, I wonder what that individual actually did when he or she grew up? On the judgment day in Matthew chapter 25, you have a separation between the saints on the right hand of Jesus Christ and the sinners on his left. 
How is God going to be able to do that if he does not know how every individual lives? We may not be able to comprehend it, but God is all-powerful, almighty, omnipotent. He is able to keep up with every individual, uh, what they do, what their deeds are, whether they're good or whether they are evil. So let's search the scriptures and look at how God tries to prevent people from going to that place called hell or God's roadblocks to hell. First of all, let's look at material blessings. We take rain for granted. We love rain, maybe not a lot of it, but we love rain. We love the sunshine. Again, maybe not a lot of it, not the 100 degree weather. But keep in mind, hell's going to be a lot more hotter than that. But God gives us the rain and the sunshine. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount said, Be ye perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. And Jesus talks about how God sends the rain, but he says it's not just on the just. God sends the rain for the just and the unjust. It's a material blessing. God sends the sunshine, not just for the righteous people, but God sends the sunshine for everyone. It's one, and one of God's benefits that we can look at in life. His, one of his material blessings that he shares with his offspring. Our clothes, our raiment, uh, the places that we live. Uh, God provided things for us to have clothing. Sheep that provides wool, cotton that is grown. Uh, cows providing leather, whatever your choice may be, uh, God provides a way for us to have clothing. God provides materials, whether it's wood or hay or, or metal or brick, for individuals to build their houses. God provides these things, but again, some people take that for granted as well. We have our Heavenly Father that provided us with food to eat. Back in the first chapter in the Bible, the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, he, he created every tree after its own kind, created every plant after its own kind. Uh, food helps us to sustain our health, uh, our physicality. God provided that, but some folks take that for, for granted. Or again, you have some folks that don't believe that there's a God at all. But when you look at God trying to prevent mankind from going to hell, what does his material blessings have to do with it? Well, his material blessings point to his sovereignty and his providence. In Psalm 19, uh, there's a reason why God created the universe, why God created the heavens, the atmosphere where you have the birds flying, uh, <clears throat> the universe where you have the sun, moon, stars, and planets. There was a reason for all of this. It didn't just happen. But we enjoy some nights where we can look up and see the stars or look up and see the moon. Uh, we enjoy it during the day where the sun comes up, if you would. Uh, people enjoy life. But you see, all of this points to a sovereign God, an omnipotent God, a God who created all of this. In Psalm 19, that's what it points out. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day and the day they utter speech. Uh, that is, they're pointing to a divine, powerful being that created all of this. Also in the book of uh, Romans... <laughs> In Romans chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and see what the Apostle Paul had to say concerning God's creation. In verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God had showed it to them. God made himself evident to the people. Did he reveal himself so people can see him face to face? No. But there's evidence that points to an almighty God. <clears throat> Verse 20, for the invisible things of him 
from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Some people are going to stand before God and say, well, I didn't know that you were real. God's not going to accept that excuse. Because if you have people that can create, or pardon me, they can develop mechanical hands or arms or legs, if somebody that can design that, then why is it too hard to believe that somebody designed this body that we have? God designed it. It points to a creator. You look at the plant life, uh, the beautiful design in plants or trees, it has a design. It points to a creator. So what Paul is saying here in his arguments to those that want to deny God or turn away from God or worship their own God, Paul says they're without excuse. This evidence points to an almighty God. And going back to Psalm 19 and verse 7, not only did God reveal himself in his creation, but God revealed himself in his word. It's a law of the Lord that converts the soul. So God left himself with evidence. That is, we can turn to his scriptures and find out who he is. <clears throat> so when you look at how God tries to prevent mankind from going to that place called hell, he leaves evidence that mankind can see food, clothing, shelter, uh, the bodies that we have and how these bodies are made and the physical health that we have and, and the health that helps provide a living for our family. These material blessings uh, is not a haphazard thing. God had a reason for it. And so if mankind would look at that, it would lead mankind to this almighty God to learn more about him. But again, some folks want to break through this roadblock and ignore these material blessings. Let's look at another roadblock of God. That is, God has sent messengers to point out his will for mankind. His messengers that we can hear. There's material blessing that we can see, but there's his messengers that we can hear. Our almighty God wants us to know about him. And so God provided a way for that to happen. It's his word. Back in the book of Genesis chapter 1, we had Adam and Eve. God spoke verbally to Adam and Eve. They spoke verbally to one another. They understood what God's will was, what God's commandments were. And so they, these would be shared verbally. When Moses came along, they would be written down also. And Moses would write down the words of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. These things would be written down to help us understand what God's will is for mankind. Or to make it simple, as the Hebrew writer said, God who at sundry times and in diverse, spake, uh, diverse places spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. The Hebrew writer is saying God chose different times and different places to have his, his word, his will revealed, made known unto the people by his prophets. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, But in these last times he has spoken unto us by his Son. And so you look at God trying to prevent mankind from going to hell, he sends his messengers. Keep in mind, if seven billion plus are going to be judged on the judgment day, doesn't God have to know what each individual is doing? Well, of course he does. That's why you have God's messengers being sent while individuals are alive. Sometimes it may not be haphazard when you turn on the TV and you hear the word of God being spoken may not always be by a child of God, but if at least they're reading the scriptures word for word, you have the word of God being spoken. He wants his word made known unto mankind. And so he's going to see that that takes place. And so here God sends prophets to the people to make known his will. Jesus Christ did the same thing. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 
23. Now here Jesus is going to rebuke the religious leaders of his day. But he's not going to do it with hatred in his heart. He's not going to do it with malice in his heart. He's going to do it just like God did through Ezekiel to the sinful children of God during that period of time. Jesus is speaking with a heart of love to these leaders saying, I know what you're doing. You're leading people astray. You're leading people to that place called hell. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 15. He says, when they go out and they compass or compass land and sea to make one proselyte, to make one convert... Jesus says, when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. What's Jesus doing? He's trying to prevent people from going to hell. He's telling the Pharisees, the message that you're preaching is leading people to hell. Not only are they going there, but you are too. So Jesus was a messenger of God as well. And so Jesus is trying to prevent these religious leaders from going to that place and the people who want to follow these religious leaders. Verse 33 in Matthew 23. How shall, he says, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? You continue down this pathway, that's where you're heading. How are you going to escape if you don't stop and repent? And so again, Jesus points out that they're not going to escape the damnation of hell if they pursue their course. <clears throat> he says, wherefore, behold, I send to you prophets. You see, God sent prophets. Jesus Christ sent prophets. He was there working with God during the Old Testament times when he made, was made manifest in the flesh, according to John chapter 1 and verse 14. And Jesus grew up and carried out his mission. Jesus called apostles unto him. And Jesus would send these apostles out. You would have prophets in the New Testament that also would be sent out. But Jesus says, I send unto you prophets. <clears throat> In verse 34, and wise men, and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. What's Jesus saying? I know where you're heading. I'm trying to prevent you from going to that place called hell. <clears throat> but that's where you're heading. But unfortunately, you're leading these blind followers with you, and they're going to be in that place as well. And so God's trying to prevent that. God sends messengers. He also sent his son, Jesus Christ. His son sent messengers. And then when you look at the message of these messengers, what are they trying to do? They're trying to reveal God's purpose. Here's how I want you to live. Here's how I want you to conduct yourself. Here's how I want you to, to worship me. Or to look at it, you know, from another standpoint. Peter, when he wrote his letter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Uh, God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Paul, uh, pardon me, Peter's saying past tense. God hath already done this. God's given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We got questions about life, it's brought up. We have questions about godliness, it's brought up. Peter's one of the messengers that God would send, that Jesus Christ would send uh, to po point out God's will and God's purpose. So in this message, you would have God's purpose. You'd have God's plea. You would have God's pardon. Here is God trying to prevent mankind from going to that place called hell. You know, at the end of our service, we're going to talk about how God wants you to be saved, how God wants your sins to be forgiven. God had laid it out in the scriptures how this takes place through his son, Jesus Christ. You're going to be faced with a choice. Me being able to read the scriptures to you is like being a messenger as well. Here's what God wants you to do to prevent you from going to that place called hell. I hope no one here is heading down that road toward hell. But if you are, I hope you get in the right direction. 
But here God would send his messengers. Jesus would send his messengers. Look back in Moses. Uh, I have uh, Moses speaking in Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verse 15. It's not on the handout, but it's the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 30, verse 15. Moses said, I said before you life and death. He wanted them to choose life. He wanted them to choose blessing. But Moses had already gone through God's law from chapter 1 onward to rehearse God's will to these people who are about ready to enter into the promised land. God gave us his law. God wants us to follow his laws, what Moses is telling the people. God wants you to be blessed and not cursed. He wants you to die a righteous life, not a wicked life. So Moses is trying to encourage the people, choose life, choose blessing. You look at Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, here's a, a prophet, does not have a book in the Bible, but Nathan is still a prophet as well. He goes to David who thinks he's done covered up all his sinfulness. Now we know David's a man after God's own heart. But Satan got a hold of David and was leading him down that pathway called hell. David, a man of war, a king, should have been out fighting in the war, but instead he stayed at home. At night, he gets up out of bed. You think he'd get up out of bed in the morning, but in chapter 11, he's getting up out of bed in the evening time, goes up on his housetop, and he sees a woman bathing. He should have turned his head the other way, but he didn't. He got his messengers. Who is this woman? They told him who it was. Go get her for me. See how that lust was entering into his heart? He already had wives already, but I guess that wasn't enough. Satan is telling him, you don't have enough. You're a king. You can have it your way. So he gets this woman to come to him, lies with her. She becomes pregnant. But see, that's not the whole story. Her husband's out fighting in the war. So now here's David thinking, I, I've got her pregnant. What am I going to do? Well, I'll get her husband to come home. Gets her husband drunk. If he gets drunk, surely he'll go in and he'll think the baby's going to be his. David, a man after God's own heart, is so caught up into sin, so blinded by sin, he's getting deeper and deeper. You see in the book of Habakkuk 2.15, Woe unto him that puts strong drink to his neighbor's lips. David's committing another sin. He's getting this individual drunk, sending him home. What's the guy do? He sleeps on the porch. The man honorable, a man who's worthy, a man who is not going to take the pleasures of life even though he could when his fellow uh, brethren are out fighting in the war, giving their lives, shedding their blood in the war. Why should he go home and enjoy the pleasures of marriage? He stayed on the porch. Here's David once again. I got her pregnant, got her husband drunk. It's still not working out. So David has this message written down, put Uriah the Hittite in the hottest battle. Have Joab do it. When you get up to this place where we're fighting the enemies, have the troops draw back. And here's Uriah that gives his life for David. But what did David do to his family? Destroyed his family. Committed adultery. Got Uriah drunk. Wrote this message to have Uriah killed. He thought, all right, Uriah's dead. They're going to think the baby by Bathsheba is going to be Uriah the Hittites. He thinks they've got it all covered up. But then Nathan comes along and says, you're the man. You've committed this wicked deed. He goes through this passage revealing to David what this wicked rich man would do. And David says, whoever done this, he ought to be put to death. But Nathan says, you're the man, David. God knows what you've done. You haven't covered it up. David didn't get away with this sin. The baby that was conceived died at eight days old. The... Wives that he had would be taken away from him. 
His household would be in disarray the rest of his life. Uh, there would be death in his family, swords that would be brought to, to persecute and kill family members of his. He didn't have it easy the rest of his life. David, who would write some beautiful psalms for us, wrote it out of a heart filled with sin on what he did to God Almighty. But you see, when you look at what Satan tries to do to mankind, he tries to lead them to that place called hell. God tries to prevent it. He prevent, he, God gives us his material blessings to show us how great and how sovereign he is, how much he cares for us, to point us to him. God sends messengers to help prevent mankind from going to that place called hell. But then third, God provides us his mercy, his mercy that we can receive. You know, some folks, they just mess up their life. They can't wait to just go to sleep and, and just, just to have some kind of rest or some kind of peace. But then they're going to wake up the next day. Problems are still going to be there. But you see, back in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, there Jeremiah says his mercies are new every morning. How great is our God who's willing to be merciful to those who commit sin. You messed up your life the night before. You messed up your life already. This can be a new day for you. You can receive God's mercy. God's forgiveness can be provided. His mercies are new every morning. They can be received, but the people need to come to God according to his will to receive that mercy. In Psalm 136, the psalmist uh, so ably, ably wrote every verse in that song, ending it with, the mercies of the Lord endureth forever. Uh, his mercy continues on. Individuals live their life. Some live longer than others. And we wonder why God allows wicked men to live so long. Well, it's because of his long suffering. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering. 2 Peter 3, verse 15, his long-suffering is for salvation. And so here is God. His mercy endures forever, but there's going to come a time where the judgment day is going to be here. Either going to be on the right hand or on the left. We want to encourage people to accept his mercy while it's available right now. Some folks want to know how can they be saved. The Bible makes it plain. But one thing that takes part in our salvation is God's mercy. In Titus chapter 3 and verses 3 through 6. By his mercy he saves us. According to his mercy he saves us. He wants to save mankind. But it's not mercy alone. Just like it's not faith alone. Just like it's not grace alone. Uh, there's a lot of stuff involved on God's part and on man's part on how we're saved. But here's God wanting to show mankind how he loves them and how he's trying to prevent them from going to that place called hell. These material blessings that we enjoy. The messengers that God sends to encourage us to be faithful or encourage people to come out of a life of sin and to receive his mercy. Or then last of all, as we notice, God's roadblock to hell, perhaps his final roadblock to that place called hell, and that's his son, our Savior, our Messiah. A savior that we can follow. Perhaps the last chance of pardon for mankind. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Or that is, I came not to be served, but to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. He came to give his life a ransom for mankind. He came to taste death for every man. You know, as I mentioned a moment ago. 
When you look at the statistics of humanity, maybe some seven billion people, children are born without sin. Children grow up, they reach that age where they need to be accountable before God. They make a choice where they're going to sin. Now, 1 John 3 and verse 4 tells us sin's a transgression of the law. That's how people become sinners, when they transgress his law. But here is Jesus Christ saying that he tasted death for every man, making it possible for every man to be saved, to become a child of God. But here is Jesus Christ, our Lord, coming to save mankind, give us life that more abundantly, John 10 and verse 10, to provide us a way that leads to heaven. John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goeth unto the Father but by me. So he's leading us to that place called heaven. We just have to follow his way. But then you look at our Lord. He also wants to call mankind unto him. We're described as a holy nation, a peculiar people, a chosen generation. Jesus Christ calling mankind to join his side and trying to take this message, this gospel, to those that are lost. To join his side and try and encourage the church to be faithful, even unto death. And so here's Jesus Christ, our Lord, a Messiah that we can follow. But look at this loving Father, whether it's the Old Testament or as we see it in the New Testament. God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He asks a question, why do you want to die in sin? God provides a way for you to be saved. God provides all the blessings that you need. Material blessings, they're here already. But spiritual blessings, they're for those who follow Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. All these spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus, they're there for the children of God. And so God's trying to prevent mankind from going to that place called hell. Think about our Savior, if you would. A few moments ago, we partook of the Lord's Supper. As the children of God. We remember his death. God wants us to do that every Lord's day. Here is someone willing to give up the glories of heaven. And to die upon the cross. This gruesome death for mankind. To provide salvation for every soul. This Messiah. God is saying surely they'll believe my son. Surely they'll follow my son. But you see not everyone does that. And so they break through these roadblocks. Material blessings. They, they just enjoy them without giving God the glory. God's messengers, oh, that's what you say I need to do to be saved. But somebody else tells me something different. Here in the Church of Christ, we're going to quote book, chapter, and verse. We're going to show you in the scriptures what God wants you to do to be saved. We're not going to tell you to follow something that you cannot find in the scriptures. So we're going to try to encourage you to follow Jesus Christ, our Lord. He gave his life for you and he shed his blood for you so that you can have forgiveness of sins. This morning, have you broken through these walls? Have you gone around these walls? Maybe you realize that you are in sin. Sin is there in your heart. The Bible tells you that you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 20, verse 30 and 31, these things are written that you can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said, when you preach the gospel to every creature about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. You see, the murder of Jesus Christ was fresh on their minds. Jesus said, you crucified the Son of God. You crucified your Christ. Yes, his blood is going to be upon you. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Those that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Peter said, save yourselves. They did. They quit breaking through these roadblocks. 
and they chose to do the will of God. They were added to the Lord's family, the church. If you haven't done that this morning, we want to encourage you to do that. If you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, and you know sins in your life, you have an opportunity to confess Jesus Christ as being the Son of God and being baptized into Christ. Uh, maybe you're already a child of God, and you know sin is there. God's merciful. Your sin can be forgiven. Your sin can be washed away by the precious blood of Christ. 1 John chapter 1, 7 through 10. You confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Prayers can be offered up. You know your need this morning. If we can help you, won't you come while we sing?